Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. So welcome to Ask the Therapist. This is interview with Frankie from Love Audrey. Frankie is a copywriter and we've been working together, I think, for the last year. Is that right, Frankie? Yeah, it's coming up to a year, yeah. Two years. So Frankie helps me with my blog post because after 20 years working in the NHS and just writing medical notes, I needed somebody to beautify my words a little bit. And that's exactly <laughs> what Frankie does So and does a fantastic job. So, Frankie, you suffer with chronic fatigue syndrome. How long have you had chronic fatigue for? Well, it will be, I'm coming up to sort of three years since what I would call the trigger, but I wasn't diagnosed with CFS for sort of like another six months or so. But yeah, we're heading up, we're heading towards three years with chronic fatigue. Gosh, that's a long time, isn't it? That must feel really tough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a long time, but I think there's been, uh, you know, there's kind of been a degree of recovery within that. So it's not as severe as it first was, but yeah. it's still, it's still a huge, um, it still has a huge impact on on my life and still kind of shapes my day to day existence quite a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Can you tell us how it all started and what the trigger was? So three years ago, it was yeah. around this time actually, I had a chest infection. I didn't realise that I had a chest infection for a little while, you know, it was yeah. kind of winter bugs and I had, a, you know, I thought I had a virus, but I couldn't shift it. And I eventually went to the GP and I got some antibiotics and I started to feel a bit better. And just after that, I, unfortunately, I, I caught flu. Gosh, right. I didn't know that it was flu at the time. Again, I just thought I'd picked up another bug and I started to feel very unwell and I deteriorated very, very quickly. And to cut a long story short, I was eventually hospitalised. They thought, they actually thought it was suspected meningitis that I was hospitalised with. Oh my gosh, did you know at the time? No, no, I mean... I mean, I knew I was very, very unwell and I knew that the GP was very concerned. I'd sort of gone up to the GP and she had sent me straight up to hospital. She was very concerned. She obviously thought, she thought it was meningitis. And, you know, once I was in hospital, I remember, I I was aware that I was very, very unwell. I I really did feel, I really did feel like I was dying. Oh, God. I think that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's, that was how it felt. Never, never been so, um, never felt so unwell in my life. That was um, absolutely terrifying. It, yeah, it was. I think the, that whole experience was kind of a trauma in and of itself. And um, I was in hospital for sort of 10 days. And eventually, after various tests and things, they did realise that it was the flu I had. But I also had this underlying bacterial infection. So what the flu does is it suppresses your white blood cells, which yeah. meant that my body couldn't fight the infection. So basically, I was kind of, it was sepsis that I was sort of experiencing. And yeah, I was in hospital for sort of 
10 days and when I was eventually discharged the doctor said to me your body's just used absolutely everything it has to keep you alive and it's going to take you a long time to get back to normal and he sort of said you know at least sort of six to eight weeks to fully recover sort of six to eight weeks came and went and and I I still didn't feel you know back to my usual self I was still feeling very unwell I still felt like I had a lot of the symptoms of the flu or how I'd felt when I was taken into hospital so lots of sort of like my glands were felt swollen just extremely tired um, lots of aches and pains and just yeah just exhaustion in a way that I'd never experienced before sort of like um a tiredness that just goes sort of right to your bones it, you know yeah. like it's an effort to sort of hold your head up even oh, sure. <laughs> um, were you working for yourself then yeah yeah I was which was sort of a blessing and a curse really because the downside was that because I was self-employed mm-hmm. I didn't really have any I didn't have any sick there was no sick pay yes. so I felt a pressure to go back to work much quicker than I would have if I'd had a sort of traditional job because they could yes. have signed me off work, you know, and that would have been fine. But because I was self-employed, I sort of, I went back to work much sooner than I should have. But at the same time, if I hadn't been self-employed, I wouldn't be working now because um, there's no way that I could cope with a, a, a traditional job outside of the home, you know, having to commute or, or work a sort of set number of hours and, and that kind of thing. The great thing about being self-employed is that I can kind of create a schedule that fits around the, the chronic fatigue. Yeah, so you make it work for you. I can sort of pace myself yeah. and, and make sure that I'm, I'm still getting enough rest, yeah. Yeah. So what then kind of happened? How you were diagnosed and then is there much support out there for chronic fatigue or, or not? Um, yeah, so I was eventually I was eventually diagnosed about six or seven months mm. after that initial incident. The way they diagnose chronic fatigue is really to rule out everything else because a lot of the symptoms overlap with an awful lot of other conditions. That it really is a case of ruling everything out and there was quite a process a lot of a lot of blood tests a lot of hospital appointments but they eventually did agree that it was chronic fatigue syndrome about six or seven months later and the the treatment options are very limited I feel quite lucky to be in Bristol actually because we actually have a chronic fatigue sort of specialist really really local to me actually so I know, having spoken to other people with chronic fatigue around the country, I think I've actually had more support than a lot of people. But the main sort of treatment options are, as I'm sure you know, BBT and what they call graded exercise therapy, which are which is quite controversial. But I was offered CBT at the outset, and so that that really that's really the only sort of treatment in inverted commas that I've ever ever had because it's not really about curing chronic fatigue because there is no cure but it's about helping you cope with it and live with it and um yeah so that was the main main treatment that I I received and what was your experience of CBT like for the most part it was incredible I found it really really helpful yeah, I think at the point at which I was referred or, or I self-referred for the, for the CBT, I was really struggling with some of the 
the sort of the meant the impact that CFS was having on my mental health. Mm. So I think sometimes when you say that CBT is used as to treat CFS, people can maybe think, oh, is that because it's kind of all in your head, which is obviously not the case. But I think that you can't kind of you can't separate it from the impact it has on on your mental health they're so connected and the point at which I was referred for the CBT Mm. I was really I was really struggling with that side of it I was feeling very very vulnerable and anxious and then in then that just it's kind of like a vicious cycle because that makes it difficult to cope with the physical symptoms you kind of have no resilience to it yeah and did you find you thinking very negative and you kind of relationship with the CFS yeah I think it's it's hard not to in those oh, especially absolutely in those, yeah those early days there's I felt like there's a real period of sort of well, it's like grief in a lot of ways I think yes. you sort of grieve the things you've lost because of this condition and you this sort of the old version of yourself mm. and I think it's a very difficult thing to accept for lots of reasons, especially if, you know, you're somebody like me who was all, you know, who's quite a perfectionist, very, you know, high achieving, hard working, always pushing, kind of always working at that, like, top level of productivity and so much. Did you do that in your kind of recovery as well, really striving and pushing and trying to get better and... Sometimes yeah, that energy can be just as exhausting, can't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, I kind of fell into this trap of thinking that I could think my way out of it. So that yeah. you know, this idea that um, you should be able to rise above like the challenges that life throws at you, like I should be able to just battle this and mm. overcome it. And you have no control over it. It's it's your you know it's your body. I, mean, I can you can make lots of lifestyle changes and you can you, you know you can do all the right things, whatever the right things are. But ultimately, it's you know it's down to my body. And if there was a simple cure for it, then somebody <laughs> would have, would have found, <laughs> found it. Yeah. Now, yeah. So I, I think I really struggled to accept it and that the impact it had on like my ability to be productive and my ability to sort of contribute to the world really affected my sort of feelings of self-worth as well because yes I think society kind of tells us that that's what makes us valuable human beings absolutely yeah if we're producing yeah consuming that's the only thing that's valued yeah yeah even on a small level like even just within you know, just within my household, you know, I sort of, it was really hard not to be able to parent in a way that I thought I should um, and do things for my kids that I thought I should be able to. And and the same in terms of being a wife and a daughter and a friend and all those things. So I think there was, you know, that was a big, a big part of the, that was what was kind of affecting my mental health. But also just feeling so physically weak made me feel very vulnerable I felt that I think the best analogy I had for it I tried to explain to my husband how I was feeling was that I kind of felt like an open wound so it's constantly like walks sort of existing in the world like in this you know when you just have one of those kind of niggly little cuts that you know if you get 
you get anything in it, like a little paper cut, and it feels really sore. And it's yeah. it's tiny, but it's so it, the pain is actually always kind of noticeable. Sounds um, absolutely all-consuming at those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. So that that was that did make me feel very negative and and very vulnerable and just yeah like I didn't really have control over my way of being in the world and that was that was such an alien thing for me yeah that being completely out of control in its mm. body dictating what you can and can't do and it's really really frightening isn't it yeah and I think there's a lot of sort of it's quite a common theme isn't it like we talk about people battling illness and, mm. and fighting things off and we place a lot of, rightly or wrongly, we place a lot of the emphasis on, on the individual and what they do to overcome an illness. Yeah. And, I think, yeah. and I think then that, what that means is that if you can't fight something, you then get sucked into these feelings of guilt. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, why can't yeah. I? Why can't I fight? All add other layers of kind of shame and guilt and, and yeah. suffering. It's layer upon layer of suffering and distress, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I learned, I, I learned a lot about my own sort of prejudices towards sort of like sick people and disabled people and, or, or people with chronic illness. And I, you know, I, I just had to have this kind of, I had to accept that, you know, why was I, why did I not want to be one of those people? It was a lot, you know, there was a real sort of, yeah, that shame. Why do I feel that shame? What's wrong with being part of that group or I didn't, you know, being yeah identifying as part of that group and I really had to work through those things and, and kind of yeah have this have a bit more acceptance but the CBT was really helpful in terms of yeah just yeah changing some of my patterns of thinking I think right is that kind of where you got the most out of the CBT in the kind of thoughts yeah, I think so. The the thing that the thing that really stuck with me there yeah. is sort of talking about catastrophizing. That was a word I'd never I'd never heard before. I'd had CBT, and the minute they gave a definition of that, I just saw myself. I identified with it so much, and I really understood that as something that was causing a lot of anxiety for me. That I was really just letting things become huge in my mind. So as soon as you kind of got that awareness and clarity over what you were doing, did that mean you had a bit more control over it and could yeah, start yeah. setting yourself doing it then when you were catastrophizing? I guess we were doing a lot of what if, what if, and then getting to the worst case scenario really quickly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, just that kind of subtle but a huge difference between like hypothetical worries and, you know, real, you know, real yeah. things real worries and yeah just I de just knowing that difference and being able to sort of stop myself and yeah work through it and just see when my mind was just racing ahead of itself and making things bigger than they actually were and yeah that was a that was a big help it's just um, small things sometimes isn't it like that learning between the difference between hypothetical and real worry and kind of letting the hypothetical go and just problem solving what's happening in the here and now is so powerful it really has changed the way I kind of think and worry as well and, and yeah it's so small isn't it sometimes it's yeah. stuff. and I think when um that like I was saying when you feel yeah. like you don't have much control over yeah. life or how you feel, or what your body's doing, 
just being able to distinguish between those two things like real things yeah. and and hypothetical that was that felt really empowering because you know I could tell myself you know worrying about this is a waste of energy mm. and my energy is so precious <laughs> so <laughs> was there anything you found unhelpful about the CBT or that you would have liked to have had improved um, so the CBT that I was offered was yeah. um, in a group setting and it wasn't complete, that wasn't completely a negative experience, but I definitely, I found personally parts of it a bit unhelpful because you're sort of, it was aimed at lots of people with sort of chronic illness and chronic pain. Right. So not everybody in the room had the same condition and there were people who had been dealing with chronic illness for you know a really long time whereas I was still fairly new to it at the time how was that for you yeah and I find that hard because and I still find it very hard to listen to stories of people that have been dealing with chronic fatigue you know for a decade or longer those the kind of stories not to take away from that experience, but I just didn't find it helpful. It didn't, it, it panicked me to hear those stories. Right. So, yeah, so for me, I, you know, I needed to sort of filter those out a little bit. And yeah, that, so that I found the group setting a little bit difficult because sometimes, you know, I think there were people that just, there were people within the group that really needed to offload, which meant which meant listening to them really talk about how long they'd been dealing with things for and how, you know, how hard things were. And that was probably the only sort of real negative to it. I think if I could have had the same experience in a sort of one-to-one setting, I would have preferred it. But at the same time, it was nice to be around people who understood, Mm. you know, had first-hand experience of of some of the realities and you didn't really have to you know you didn't have to explain or or sort of feel like you had to prove or justify you know your experiences so it sounds like it was very validating yeah I think I think it is always helpful to meet people or hear from people who've been through or are going through um because it's such an such an isolating Mm. condition and And had any experience of it before had you known anybody that suffered with it or not really I think I heard you know I'd I'd heard of ME which is obviously the other name for sometimes for for chronic fatigue um I think I'd seen it on seen some storyline on TV years ago but I didn't really understand what it was or you know how it might impact someone's life at all no so I definitely I had a lot to learn about <laughs> the condition that I was now sort of living with. Definitely. Did you do a lot of googling and going onto forums and things like that, which is usually the first thing we all do when we get anything? Yeah, yeah I did. Funnily enough, I was going to say that I didn't have much knowledge or experience of it beforehand, but when I did start talking about it online, I suddenly yes. realised that I did know people with the condition. Oh, wow, you just hadn't really talked about it. Yeah, so in the very early stages, an online friend of mine Mm. um, who'd been, she'd probably been, she'd probably been diagnosed with chronic fatigue about a year prior to myself. She reached out to me, she sent me an amazing email that was just full of kind of her advice from sort of first-hand experience and support. And one of the things she actually said in that email was, 
try not to fall down a rabbit hole of reading mm. like on the internet reading everything because unfortunately I think a lot of the stuff that comes up via those google searches is quite negative and quite bleak and I think that there are some re- yeah really sort of awful tales of of people who ha- who are living with the disease for a long time and much more severe cases and they seem to just come to the top of the of the google search yeah. results yeah so, and i don't i never i've never found it particularly helpful to sort of read those um you have to dig a little bit deeper to mm. find the more sort of yeah more uplifting stories of people who are sort of have found ways to either overcome the condition or sort of live with it without it being too bleak yeah and is that one of the things that's inspired you to do your Insta stories and talk about your chronic fatigue to be a positive role model? Because they're certainly, when you talk about it, you're just very matter of fact and you're certainly not bleak and you show that you're living with the condition and living a very full life. And I mean, yeah. I know you have tough days, but you are very positive about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I realised that that's what I was doing. You know, I, I've been showing up and oversharing online for a decade now, nearly. long, long before, very well. <laughs> long before I had um, yeah. chronic fatigue. So, so part of it was that it didn't, fit, you know, it felt normal to me to mm. just share something that was part of my everyday. But also, I couldn't have, there's no way I would have been able to successfully hide it. So it didn't occur to me that that's what I should do because I wouldn't have been able to to disguise, especially not in the first eighteen months when mm. you know I was mu- I was much sicker than I am now. It wasn't until somebody sent me a message saying, you know, thank you for for showing up as somebody with chronic fatigue who's managing to you know run a business or raise a family it wasn't until I started get, getting messages like that that I thought wow. oh yeah actually this is it is quite important to to give it some some visibility absolutely it's yeah I think it means an awful lot to people to kind of because there isn't those positive role models out there and I know it I mean I've not got chronic fatigue but with my thyroid condition yeah. I had fatigue and the <laughs> all the blogs and everything I read was so negative it was it was really really tough because again it's not you know there's not much out there and not many people talking about it so yeah I, I definitely I know from the feedback that I get that it does help people and I, I don't I try you know I'm I'm not being positive for the sake of being positive I'm I try no. not to sugarcoat things if I am having a bad day you know, if I haven't had the energy to get dressed or wash my hair or, or whatever, then I try to still you're show. You're still on Insta stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might use a filter, but I'm still there. Well, you put bunny ears on, don't you, and a yeah. bunny nose. Yeah, yeah you, can always tell, you can always tell when I'm having a bad day because the, the puppy filter comes out. <laughs> <laughs> but good for you. It just feels really authentic. And I, I just think none of us have consistent great days, do we? No, yeah, that's that's true, and I guess um, Instagram can be very can feel like quite a a glossy, yes. perfect place. But yeah, I don't, I I, I wouldn't have the energy to mm. curate my life to that degree. Gosh, <laughs> so. gosh, make us all feel normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
And one aspect of the treatment of chronic fatigue is um, this idea of pacing. And I know when I've worked with people with chronic fatigue, it's been a big part of the, the work I've done. And some people actually have already, you know, done a lot of that work. Have you, have you done a much work around pacing? Yeah, I mean, that was another part of the CBT sessions. That was another yeah. big sort of chunk of it. Um, and yeah. I, did, I did find really helpful at the time I when I went for the CBT I'd only had it sort of vaguely mentioned to me by a couple of doctors they've never really given me any sort of practical like this is how you do it they right. just said you know you might want to try pacing and, and not really given me much explanation so it was in those CBT sessions that they really right. walked through it and I, I do find it a helpful tool. I don't think it's something that works all the time and in every situation. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember feeling quite frustrated when they were sort of explaining the pacing to me and sort of, you know, because they sort of talk about working out like what your optimum level of activity is and then kind of dialing it back a little bit to to kind of have those reserves of energy to sort of avoid that boom and bust cycles and I remember sort of thinking well I can't take my children three quarters of the way to school I have to take them all the way (laughs) all the way there and then I have to get all the way back again you know yeah (laughs) Uh, there's no choice on that one but I think what it did was it gave me a foundation Mm. to then kind of tweak and adapt and figure out what would work for me in day-to-day yes, life yeah just just to have this understanding that really I need to always be doing that little bit less than mm. I might feel like I can do so even on the good days not to push yourself to your limit just always kind of keep something back so that yeah. you're sort of disperse, like spreading the energy you know sort of evenly and gently throughout the day and throughout the week because definitely in those early days, I was really in that kind of boom and bust cycle of sort of feeling okay and sort of trying to do as much as possible in that time and then just crashing really, really hard for weeks at a time, you know. And that's not to say that I don't overdo it now, but I definitely, it's definitely on a smaller scale. It sounds like from your Insta stories that you're a lot more prepared for it now. You know if you're going to do something that's going to take a lot of your energy and you rest a bit more for the next few days, you kind of... Yeah, I think it's helped me sort of figure out how I need to sort of schedule Mm. my life really to to leave those gaps for rest and make sure that there's sort of white spaces in my diary that I haven't plan something for every single weekend because sometimes I just need a weekend where I don't really move from the sofa much you know in fact you know and really that's something that whether you've got chronic fatigue or not that's we all need (laughs) I think when I work with people sometimes you find that they're kind of what's in their diaries that what I get people to do is initially do a a diary of what they're doing and rate their tiredness levels Mm -hmm. and then we kind of just adapt it until we get it better work working better for them but sometimes they have rest and when we actually talk about their rest they're feeling frustrated that they're on the sofa irritated angry so that their body is resting but their mind is in a very kind of threatened state really and that energy is exhausting yeah I think um 
resting emotionally like that took me I think a bit longer to understand actually that if I don't keep my sort of emotions on an even keel then I feel the effects of that as well so if I allow myself to get very very stressed or Mm. upset or angry or any of those things they will zap that will zap my energy just as much as like going for a 20 minute run would you know but you know but also that the sort of struggling to rest I definitely I definitely went through that and I still do at times because it is kind of counter to how I lived for 30 odd years you know I was was not I was not somebody that that rested I just Mm -hmm. wasn't I was somebody who was always doing and you know, it kind of required like a big shift in my identity, really, to sort Absolutely. of uh, become someone who who rests. And, and I've gone quite, so, so far the other way now. I'm so evangelical about it. I just want everybody to get oh, up, no. not just the sick people. No, because culturally it's quite a scary time, isn't it? And you've got young children. You must see it in them that they're, they're constantly bombarded with all this information and they've got after-school clubs and... Yeah. Yeah, just that learning how to really rest, you know, Mm. like to switch off, you know, and put your phone away even. Because sometimes I think that as well, we think that sitting on the sofa and scrolling through social media is is resting, but it's so stimulating for your brain that it's not. So yeah, that's definitely been a skill that I've had to acquire and, and work on and sometimes sometimes it falls away and I have to kind of <laughs> you know refresh my refresh that and go sort of focus on it again but um, it sounds like you have to stay very aware all the time of how you are your emotional state your physical state and what's going on in your diary and I mean it's a lot to chuckle isn't it yeah I, I think I, I suppose it is but I think it feels it's becoming second nature to me because it is the difference between being able to function and not being able to function so that's a huge motivator isn't it so there's absolutely no choice so yeah Mm. and I think that I I do feel just so much more in tune with what my body's doing now than I was you know sometimes I feel quite horrified at how much I ignored messages from my own body and my own mind beforehand because I think you know our bodies tell us what they need that we've got all these mechanisms (laughs) built into us to tell us what we need and we're so good at ignoring them or masking them with things you know like caffeine and you know stimulants and things like that that we just we just become really disconnected and from from yeah what our bodies are just trying to tell us and sometimes you know sometimes I think that if I had been better at listening to those messages before I wouldn't have you know got into the situation in the first place you know I wouldn't have sort of pushed through having that chest infection you know I wouldn't have gone back to work so quickly after being discharged from hospital and you know I may not have ended up in this situation at all so I think it's mm. those it's a skill that we you know we, we, we really should try and improve and listen to what our bodies are telling us yeah because if we don't then our bodies will clump down and they will certainly let us know if we don't listen to those messages so I think you can you're completely right yeah how do you manage a difficult day I suppose if I wake up and I feel like I've got no energy 
then I just have to accept it and I just have to have a slow gentle day I kind of have to prioritize and basically decide what I'm going to use my energy on that day that may mean that if I can sort of if I've got enough time in my schedule to put off work until the next day then then that's what I'll do if I don't then it might mean that you know I won't get dressed that day so I'll work Mm -hmm. in my pajamas that's the sort of payoff but just yeah try to sort of prioritize and decide how to use that limited energy sleep is always the first thing I prescribe myself is sleep more sleep um just go to bed early (laughs) (laughs) so vital isn't it and is it easy to do that is it easy to sleep if you need to um for me now it is I did a lot of work on like sleep hygiene in the very early days and I think I have like a good routine now and you know, I know the things that will help me sleep, like, you know, avoiding screens before bed, taking a hot bath. I use essential oils as well at home that, that I find those really helpful for sleeping. Earplugs. Yeah. <laughs> Telling my husband to sleep in the spare room if I think he might disturb me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, very protective of my sleep just having an early night can be so so powerful for me yeah um i think for everybody isn't it if we get it's getting the basics right isn't it and, and mm. one of those absolutely must do's if you could go back to the beginning is there anything you'd want yourself to know or any advice you'd kind of wish you'd had back then i think that you will get better recovery isn't linear that there'll be ups and downs, but that, you know, things will improve. I think that the acceptance part of it was a big turning point for me. I think when I stopped fighting, yeah, when I got, when I stopped getting so angry and frustrated about everything that I couldn't do or everything that I felt I was missing out on and started to focus on you know, how far I had come in terms of recovery, the things that I was able to do, that was a big turning point for me. And yeah, after that, I felt like my recovery sort of sped up a bit. And so I think the acceptance part was a big, big thing for me. And just that, I guess it's not like living with a chronic illness is never going to be ideal, but it doesn't, it doesn't make you sort of less of a person or it doesn't make you less valuable or less worthy or any of those things that just because you're not sort of able to be productive in the way that society tells us that we should be mm-hmm. just because you can't kind of hustle or work constantly or you know be busy 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 it, yeah it doesn't make you less of a person absolutely yeah it sounds like you've really developed kind of being a lot more self-compassionate as well and really kind of worked on your self-care and how you look after yourself yeah I I think so and I guess in a way that's probably one of the things I feel positive about it because Mm. in a lot of ways I feel like I know something really important that lots of people don't absolutely Um, totally agree (laughs) and I had to learn it a really hard way and I wouldn't wish that on other people but yeah I I do I just feel like I know something that you know like and I know the real value of of our health 
yeah uh, you know what it is to be healthy and um that's something that lots of people take for granted so. yeah yeah that's really interesting and what what about kind of um people that support you is there any advice that you would give somebody supporting somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome because that's a difficult place to be as yeah. well isn't it because you can't yeah. see fatigue when i had i mean i had fatigue for a couple of just two years but i really felt like i had to shout and shout about how tired i was now i couldn't do stuff and become a bit of a drama queen to have it validated yeah maybe maybe really you know that's the question you should ask my husband i don't know i feel you know sometimes my kids as well they i can't really speak of their experience Mm. but from from my perspective, I think what I would say to other people is to just really listen to yes. what the other person is telling you and and believe what they're saying and don't question it. And it's not about offering solutions. Yes. I think one of the hardest things I find or something that I find quite exhausting, quite draining is that kind of unsolicited advice that comes with having a chronic illness (laughs) Um, because yeah chances are that if someone's been living with a chronic illness for a while they have read and heard about every possible you know treatment option and they've you know so yeah don't I suppose yeah just don't get so kind of hung up on trying to fix them just listen to them and ask them how you can support them and what you can do to so it sounds like, and I totally agree with that, sometimes less is more. It pushes us into trying to fix and help and, and do, and sometimes we just need people to just be. Yeah, do what you can to help them maintain normality in any, you know, in any way that they, that they can. You know, the friends that I value the most are the ones who still invite me to things. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. um, even though I will have declined countless invitations or even said I'm going to come and then had to pull out at the last minute but that, that that doesn't deter them they still give me the invitation and still think of me for things you know and and friends that try and yeah adapt to sort of maintain the friendship within the constraints of that chronic illness so you know who will say well I'll come to you if oh, if, if yeah. you can't you know you don't have the energy to go out for lunch or or whatever yeah, but just I think listening is just so important. Just like listening to if someone sh- wants to share their experience of or the hardships or the challenges or whatever, then just being an, someone, you know, just being an ear to listen is is a bit is a big thing. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? And within kind of you've done lots on um, online and read lots. What the th- have you kind of found any online communities that are really helpful? Um, I suppose. I mean, I've met lots of people through Instagram, um, just through me sharing my experiences. People have found me and that's been a really good way to have have connections with people who are going through similar things. But yeah, no, I think that's that's probably the main Mm. main, like where I found a community. Yeah. Yeah. So opening up and just kind of talking about your own experience sounds like that's really connected you up with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I suppose that brings us to the end of the questions. Is there anything else you'd like to say? We've covered so much, isn't it? it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, People. Yeah. No, I think that's probably about everything. (laughs) I think. 
it's really been really comprehensive thank you so much for that if people want to um find you online i mean i suppose the best place is instagram isn't it yeah i'm, I'm love audrey 83 over there and um, yeah i'm kind of on instagram stories almost every day really aren't i and, oh it's uh, lovely yeah <laughs> lovely little take each evening it's really nice to come into your world and, and see your lovely bubble baths and your children yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of self-care on there isn't it oh, there is and i've been watching all your aromatherapy oils which sounds like that's been an important part of kind of your self-care and that's lovely yeah, yeah. really nice so I'll put links to your Instagram as well. Brilliant. On the show notes. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very thank you much. <laughs> Pleasure. Speak to you soon. Bye.